Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. What is going on here? How come you're this in this direction? There, that's I think, better. I think it's oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. there it is. Cool. All right, we're in equal standing now. Yes, folks, we're back. Matthew Aird is joining us, and you can find him over at CanadianPatriot.org as well as the RisingTideFoundation.net. Make sure you get Matthew's books by going to the RisingTideFoundation.net and and click the link where you can purchase his wonderful, amazing, incredible books that give you the play-by-play of where we are today. Understand the historical significance, and you will understand the future. So make sure you get that. And with that being said, Matthew, what's up, buddy? How are you? Hey, not too bad, not too bad. Interesting week, eh? Oh, my God. I mean, Russia just announced the settlement of gold for petrol, uh, for petroleum products, man. Is that amazing? Yeah, that was brilliant. Um, and it was obvious it was going to happen. I mean, but I don't think it really caught the geopolitical like, grandmasters. Uh, I think it caught them off guard. Uh, but, I, you know, you, you just heard about that. And the, the second that Russia finally re- reopened their, uh, their, their stock markets, instead of seeing the expected plunge, which many analysts were, were anticipating, it rose and got back all their gains that they lost over the entirety of February were all gotten back in like one second because now everybody has to settle all of their purchases of Russian oil, which supplies or Russian gas that supplies 40 percent of Europe's use uh, in rubles. So they're all scrambling to buy rubles and trying to figure out how they can buy rubles. So, yeah, naturally, it's uh, yeah, it's great. It's a game changer, man. It's a game changer in a big way, and I don't know what the U.S. is going to do. They already got the tin. They they got they got you know, the little blind man's cup out, little tin tin cup, and they're you know asking Juan Guaido if Juan could uh, hook him up with some Venezuelan oil, and Juan has to remind them that nobody knows who Juan is and that he's not even a a local city council guy at this point. <laughs> I think no, he's I, like the community dog catcher or something. Can you believe that? That they actually invited that guy to represent Venezuela at the democracy yeah. summit? <laughs> Dude, that's how and dumb it, the West is. That's how really, dumb these idiots are. Uh, but and, and see, it looks really bad. Like the entire world is looking at this and they're just seeing the United States um confiscate Venezuela. Like they started with Venezuela. I think they confiscated thirty billion dollars of their um of their res- of their reserves. Um and then Afghanistan, right? All of, of Afghan's foreign wealth uh, that was controlled by U.S. banking houses was all frozen. And and so the U.S. is just looking like this insecure basket case lopping around this big threatening uh, baseball bat. But there's nothing there. It's all it's it, there's a lot of bluff. And when you actually look at the these countries and what's happened, especially in the course of the past five years with the BRI growing in leaps and bounds, um, countries like Iran, which was kicked out of swift of i don't know if they've ever been a part of swift but they've they've been increasingly able to like build a new foundational basis for their economy which is viable with russia and china as their allies now russia and and iran are integrating with their their alternative to swift uh system very quickly same thing with india so yeah you, you have something which is really helping all countries that tend to get kicked out of the western uh you know imf controlled zone of influence 
So that's yeah, good. It, 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 massive things are changing. Right now, the Iranian foreign minister just pledged a readiness to build two power plants in Lebanon to help out mm-hmm. Lebanon with their crisis. It seems as if the West is running around breaking, destroying, wreaking havoc on whatever it can, even its own citizenry, while the East is trying to go out there, stabilize the situation, put out the fires, and get civilization back on track. It's two diametrically opposed ide- you know, ideologies that we yeah. see here flowing. It's remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Hans, yeah. are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a really viral. Uh, that that's a great little comedic blip. Um, yeah, no, I think it's finally dawning on some people that they're on the wrong side of history. Um, yeah. I, I know you've got a lot of mercenaries, people who have uh, been romantically charged by the idea of going to fight the big bad Ruskies, and and you know thousands of these mercenaries from the so-called Ukrainian International Foreign Legion have poured into Ukraine since the beginning of this fight. And they uh, have since been like (laughs) live streaming saying, get the hell out. Don't make my mistake. And they're all trying to like jump ship because they're realizing they just jumped into a death sentence. And on the other hand, like I remember this, I read this report from a young guy from, I think he was from uh, Brussels or something. He was a teacher and he was like, okay, I'm going to go. And, you know, he believed the propaganda and and pick up a gun and help the, uh, the freedom movement in Ukraine. And as he was signing the contract, he realized, wait a minute, this thing says it's an indefinite contract like i'm completely enslaved to the kiev military and and you know he's like i i didn't sign up for that um and he encouraged a bunch of people who were volunteers in the battalion to just get up and leave um but yeah i mean it's it's uh people i think are finally maybe maybe it's seeing that their colleagues that they're that they're supposed to fight alongside have swastika tattoos and are a little bit uh too uh too high on meth- methamphetamines oh yeah um maybe it's that that's that's getting people to snap out of it who are on the ground i'm not too sure what what it is exactly but uh or using human shields maybe they realize that it's perhaps a little bit weird that we're the ones using you know civilians and children um in daycares and, and residential buildings to fight the russians when i was told before i got here that the russians were doing all all of this stuff um so who knows what it is but definitely people are realizing that they're on the wrong side of history. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, man. And that's what people <clears throat> people need to realize. It, it's remarkable seeing this whole entire narrative just completely fall apart. The West has lost all sorts of influence. Mm-hmm. A week ago, we've had um, the, you know, uh, you know, Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia not pick up the phone call from Joe Biden. Same thing with the Qatari prince now. Mm-hmm. Or some of the uh, Emirati princes are refusing to meet with the U.S. delegations. The, the UAE is not picking up D.C.'s call, man. Yeah. That's a first. UAE ain't doing it. Saudi Arabia ain't doing it. I mean, this is incredible. Well, Absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Like, five, six years ago, you never would have imagined that this sort of thing would have happened, um, where they, these were all assets, very controlled assets, as they've been since, I mean, I think the Saudi royal family was set up in the 1930s, right, by the yep. British, um, to just be, you know, little local warlords, um, and completely beholden to this international financier oligarchy. And for the most part, the the ensuing 85 or so years have been pretty much that, you know, any anytime you want to a new radical jihadi group funded. You can just always count on the Saudis and their money bags to make it happen, regardless of whether it's it's going to be in Syria or Iraq or, you know, Mali or even uh, Xinjiang, whatever it is. 
uh, if you if you want those those recruitment centers set up, funded, and uh, and you want some money to go into the pockets of disenchanted, radicalized young people, uh, that's that's you could count on the Saudis and maybe even their their other uh, Gulf state counterparts. But uh, increasingly, that's no no longer the case, and we've seen now. Um, even though obviously they're definitely not on the side of angels, they could see what a sinking ship looks like. And the idea, the attractiveness of being part of this new world order when the thing that they were working for is so blatantly melting down under its own hypocrisy. Um, and also seeing the viability of something which is able to, to build real wealth, to create things coming out of Russia, China, and other countries that are working on it, you know, with that, uh, they could just see their own self-interest. So the fact that they weren't even invited, none of these countries you just mentioned were invited to the democracy summit that Biden led to sort of rally and unify the rules-based international world community of democracies, right, back in December of last year. Um, only, I think, Iraq was invited, and Iraq didn't even want to be there. They were just trying to strong-arm Iraq because they they represent such a strategic zone um, separating Iran from Syria and also other, other routes that would involve building infrastructure down into even Africa through Jordan and Egypt. Um, so... They brought Iraq in. Uh, it didn't change Iraq's general disposition. Um, but none of the other states, no, no other Arab state was invited to be a part of that whatsoever. So it, it gives you a sense that they're losing control. And the fact that Saudi Arabia even has floated the idea, which I think now has been, is going to take on a new charge with Russia having announced that now oil deals can be settled in, in Russian rubles, um, which breaks the petrodollar monopoly that's been there since 1973. Um, I think that what Saudi Arabia said about nine days ago, saying that they will allow settlements in Yuan, um, might very likely move a lot faster than people were thinking. They were wondering, is that just a threat or uh, is this serious? And I think it is very serious and, and good, frankly, um, that this is this is moving ahead. Whether that is going to also involve uh, an increased capacity to have a serious uh, change in Saudi policy towards Yemen, which is desperate behind the scenes. Um, I think I think so. If Saudi Arabia realizes that its um, life depends upon having good relations with Russia, China, um, which necessitates Iran, their arch nemesis, um, which is, a, a, you know, like the third pillar of the, the growing multipolar alliance, then they'll have to have something very at some point uh, that gets them to pull back on this insane bombardment of Yemen. Because, again, if you if you get Yemen, Yemen right now is, is a culturally very advanced zone, at least the uh, um, the Western part of Yemen that's currently receiving all of the bombs, but also doing a have, have been conducting a pretty good fight back for the past, what, nine? No, eight years, eight, seven years since 2014, 15. Um, but if you can get them into a, a position of stability, just like Syria, if you can get some real reconstruction, get some some actual peace durable peace in that region um you could start building like they're ready to build bri style projects with the help of china very quickly that would involve easy ton well, not easy but a doable uh tunneling through their uh, the connection into africa which is a very you know relatively short little uh little gap um that would bring in also ethiopia eritrea somalia sudan i mean so many countries in the horn of africa are ready to also, they're already receiving a lot of aid from China, but aid that's not tied to just, you know, um, structural, uh, you know, adjustment loans or things that the IMF have been doing. 
but rather real investments into building things like the Grand Renaissance Dam of Ethiopia, uh, the biggest dam ever in history now under construction, or the high-speed rail networks uh, being built within the Horn of Africa throughout Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, um, and many other lines that are are either already being built, have been built, or are planned to be built, uh, which connect all of that continent in an integrative way that, again, there's a reason why the African countries, so many of them were not invited to Biden's Democracy Summit. They're not, uh, they're not playing by the rules of what the, you know, these freaks think that a, a democratic world order should be based upon, which is basically beholden to Davos sociopaths that want to kill you. That's what it means to be a, a democratic, well-behaved society in this day and age. It's are you willing to completely transform your, your behavior in accordance with mathematical models in computers that Davos billionaires have been proposing be used to justify you die. Uh, so anybody who doesn't want to do that is just simply not invited uh, to the to the good guys club. And I think that that was even the, the name of the, the club, right? That that Bill Gates and Bloomberg and uh, 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 Dave, David Rockefeller were all uh, when they set up their their population uh, control meeting in um, in New York in 2009. They call it, they call themselves the good club. And this yeah. is on mainstream media covered this thing. Yeah. <laughs> the good club. I think you're trying too hard. A bunch of private school idiots, man. The good club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm scared to think about their death. Speaking of which, the good club just lost a, uh, a valued member um, this week. I think it was yesterday. Madeline Albright died. Thank God. May she rest in hell. May the eternal flames of hell roast her to eternity. Good yeah, riddance sure. to bad good, rubbish. Good riddance. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure if the, the, the radio channels were going to be playing uh, uh, The Witch is Dead, just like they did when uh, when Thatcher died. Um, I'm not too sure about that yet. But yeah, this woman has was really quite a piece of work. And you got all of the MSNBC and, and CNN editorial editorialists talking about what a wonderful soul she was what a great mother and aunt and wife and blah 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 and it, completely ignoring anything she actually did during her many years as, in in politics as secretary of state under Rhodes scholar clinton as an, a devotee of zbigniew brzezinski as an adherent of hg wells and his open conspiracy new world order doctrines but this is a woman who like was pre she presided over NATO's first illegal bombing of a country with uh, Serbia back in 1999, which was like, this is atrocious. People just have had their their memories completely scrubbed. Um, I don't know how this is something that not everybody knows about. But, you know, what happened in Kosovo in 1999, this was illegal. This was a NATO attack outside of the UN Security Council. Madeleine Albright directly oversaw that which for 80 days, day and night, had bombardments on civilian centers. At least 5,000 civilians were killed, probably even a lot more than that. Um, I mean, and every time there was an, an attempt to get a diplomatic peace process going, Madeleine Albright was the first person to come in, sabotage it, and keep the bombing campaign going. Um, she's the one who even like said in, a, in an interview in 1996, that uh, how do you feel about the uh, the consequences of the bombing of Iraq, which involved which have resulted in at least half a million children dead? It was worth response, it. You know what she said, eh? It was worth it. It was worth it. It was, it was worth, worth it. it. Yeah, stone cold bitch. 
I mean, this is this is like completely inhuman. And this was back in the, after the 1990 Desert Storm. You know, how much worse has it been now today after 20 more years of bombing Iraq a second time around? Um, and I think they say, you know, maybe it's it's uh, I forget the exact number used, um, but we're talking if you think about all of the not just direct violence of people who have been blown up or, or died of wounds, especially civilians, um, but also things like uh, lack of water because we destroyed all of Iraq's water systems and infrastructure. Their, their, uh, their lack of ability to uh, have hospital care, uh, provide proper medical care to deal with the wounded who died of infections unnecessarily, or the destruction of their food crops. Um, there was a, a breadbasket there that was annihilated under NATO attacks, um, which also couldn't supply the, the water needed to pr provide for agriculture. How many people died in those sorts of ways unnecessarily? I mean, I think we're probably talking in the many millions, far beyond the official statistics. Um, and this is all the consequence of people like Madeleine Albright, um, the good club, the good, good club people. Um, but it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's an obsolete way of thinking. They're the good club. They're here for our goodness. <laughs> and, but, but in many, I mean, this is where I think too, like many of the people who were part of this, uh, celebrated higher cast of, uh, of rulers of, of upper level managers, um, History is, is certainly going to shed light on the shadowy crap that they did while they were alive. Maybe they, they died in some cases, like Albright, without facing the consequences. Um, but I think history is going to showcase for future um, students of history that these are the most reprehensible scumbags of the universe. Um, one person that also I think is, is useful here, who's getting a bit of his comeuppance while he's alive so far, is Anatoly Trubai. Who also just this week, you got you know Trubias? No, I don't know who Trubias. Like the the one of the top dogs of the Russian the Russian deep state, like one of the leading fifth columnists. And uh, this guy was like the the deputy uh, uh, deputy prime minister under um, under Yeltsin. He was his personal secretary. He he ran Perestroika. Like this guy was in charge with this other guy uh, Gaidar. Um, they were in charge. Tudor and Gaidar sounds like like some sort of a bad fantasy novel of like supervillains. Yeah, well, he acted that way. <laughs> <acted> that way. <laughs> but these guys like literally brought in George Soros and Soros's fund management, which supplied them the money that they needed as well for their personal careers. Um, they oversaw things like Operation Hammer, that was the Bush George Bush Senior program to instigate um, a war with the generals, like a general's coup in Russia. You know, the, the Russian Duma was fired upon by tanks in 1991, um, followed by a, a, a theft of the Russian of Russian commodities and especially gold, a, a pushing of the program to then privatize and gain control of all of the strategic minerals and resources. Um, it all required this thing called a, uh, something that, that this guy Shubai oversaw, which was this uh, voucher system. So the, in order to turn to decommunistify de um, the, the civilian population and transition Russia into what was called a, what they were sold as a market-based society um, after the Soviet Union disintegrated, the idea was, well, how do you do that? Everyone who lives in that society has all lived only under the Soviet communist system. They don't know what capitalism, how it works. So the idea was, well, okay, we're going to give people vouchers. 
And with these vouchers, they can then invest in um, former state enterprises that are now going to be privatized. So we're going to privatize every single thing possible. And everybody can be an investor in this new market economy. So every citizen, small or big, the, your milkman, whoever, they can all use their vouchers to then buy in. Now, the reality was the, the economy was taken down. Like the people lost their jobs across the board. That was what people like Jeffrey Sachs put into place. People like Strobe Talbot working for Clinton. What, they just ensured that there was a complete destruction of the job market, um, a shutting down of of people's a freezing or at least a, even a diminution of people's incomes overall and a destruction of the physical productivity base um, of Russia. So people were more concerned with feeding themselves than they were with becoming investors with their little stupid vouchers. So what was happening was that these, these people who were well positioned, who were part of the George Soros Western uh, oligarch uh, crowd like Chubai um, were all more than willing to give money for people's vouchers. And then these um, oligarchs, like Berezovsky was another one, there were there are many, they they were they were then able to use these vouchers to then buy up state enterprises that were worth billions of dollars, gas prom, other things. They like all the state enterprise that controlled Russian gas, Russian media, Russian everything, were then bought up for pennies on the dollar. And that's how this whole oligarchy was cre- this was created in the 1990s many of whom are today based in London or in Florida. This is who uh, Putin was talking to when he was saying that, you know, many of these Russian fifth, fifth columnists that the West is banking on, um, who they the West thinks can be used to overthrow the Russian government and help destroy Russia, um, they, they would sell their grandmothers and mothers so that they could just sit in the hallway of one of the super elite higher caste um, families. So it's these characters who many people romantically sometimes think that Russia is just purely sovereign, that 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 Putin came in, cleaned it, clean shop in 1999. That's not true. There, there's been an ongoing fight. Other people think that Russia is just completely in on it, that, that it's all a giant big uh, mental fake and that Russia is just another part of the Great Reset. Both of these things are, one has a bit more of a QAnon type of vibe to it. Just sit back, enjoy the show. There's nothing you can do because the good guys, the white hats are out there. Um, and everything's fine. Don't worry. And then the other grouping will tend to say as the, the, the other extreme that, well, yeah, Putin is and Xi Jinping and, and yeah, uh, the, the, the Iranians, they're all in on the, on cloud. They're all assets of Klaus Schwab. They're all just playing a different Manichaean Hegelian dialectic game. And we're all ultimately still doomed. So there's nothing really you can do. So just sit back and enjoy the show in a more depressive state than the, than the QAnon people, but it's, it gets you the same effect, right. Of just making you completely impotent. Um, but there's been a fight and, and this guy was head just to, even though Putin did clean up shop, he did, uh, conduct a battle. A, some, some oligarchs went to prison. Um, many enterprises were renationalized starting in 2000. Um, some who wanted to avoid prison, but not play by the rules of Putin's new game escaped to, uh, London, as I mentioned, or to the United States. Um, others stayed behind and acted like they were uh, well-behaved, reconstructed, but in reality still had their hearts and loyalties in the city of London and, and Wall Street. Um, Chubai, I, I, you know, even though he sort of fell from favor for a bit, he did gain position as the head of uh, Russ Nano. He's the guy who like spearheaded bringing in the entire Great Reset Fourth Industrial Revolution agenda into Russia. He's the guy that empowered people like uh, Tatiana Golikova, 
who's the deputy prime minister. She's in charge of the entire um, COVID response, the, the entire pandemic response and the empowering of the local regions to have power to respond to the pandemic outside of the authority of the Kremlin. Um, that's Golikova, an asset of, of in many ways, of, of uh, uh, Chubai, Anatoly Chubai. And so this guy was was a big player. He was highly protected. And Putin obviously called him, he called him out on several occasions, making the point even in 2013 that Chubai uh, was entirely run by the CIA, um, especially during the 1990s. But despite that, he couldn't remove him from influence. And even it got to the, bad to the point where finally Rosnano went, went nearly bankrupt. It was just a complete like an operation just designed to make money making frauds. Um, and, and as soon as that thing went down, there was a giant raid on the offices of Chubai and his, his second hand, his right hand man, um, who I believe went to prison in 2021. Chubai avoided that as well. He just avoided every single bullet and then found himself appointed as the Russian representative to the United Nations for sustainability. Until this week, where he finally was purged. <laughs> yep. and, yeah, as we said, he nominally it was about the, you know, I disagree about uh, Russia's uh, war in Ukraine. And, and he left and he basically got on a, on a, he, all of his titles were removed and he got on a plane and went to seek sanctuary in uh, Turkey. So this is part of, I think, a broader purging now that Putin already warned about in several speeches over the past several weeks of the fifth column. Um, he did allow for Nebulina, who I've I felt is very shady up until now. She's a Yale fellow. Yeah. Um, not not a trustworthy type of character. So is Navalny, actually. Navalny is also a Yale, a Yale fellow who went through the same sort of indoctrination program. But now difference is Neb- Navalny has been given a nine-year sentence in prison for corruption, whereas uh, Nebulina Elvira, she's the head of the Central Bank of Russia. Um, different. So I was thinking to myself, I think last time we talked, that it was looking more and more likely that she was going to get fired and, and purged. Um, maybe that's still the case. Maybe she was written the, read the riot act. I don't really know. But she was reappointed. She was given another chance to uh, uh, continue her job as the head of the, the central bank uh, of Russia. We'll see if she actually starts abiding by national policy or continues to um, scheme with the IMF and the, the Bank of International Settlements. I don't really know. But what I do know, as we've talked about, the nationalist faction of Russia that doesn't want to sacrifice their society has definitely uh, gained a huge edge right now with Sergei Glazyev, Shoigu, and others <clears throat> um, who have really taken, taken, made it clear that they are going to take greater charge of the flow, the direction of, the, of, a, of their economy, uh, which they really need to do. If you're going to be able to live and fight the, the battle that needs to be fought against this unipolar dark age uh, monster that's running the the nato alliance you got to have that flexibility that china has with its national central banking system with its capacity to emit credit to build large-scale projects and to provide loans to small and medium businesses to carry out real productive worth uh, uh actions russia doesn't have that with their private central bank that was privatized under the reformers of the of of people like like chubai and gaidar Mm. Um, 90s they they don't have that flexibility so hopefully now we're going to see more of that freedom and sovereign banking power yeah exactly this is going to be a great blow i mean it's pretty interesting with nebulina he he uh fired her then she came back you know which is pretty interesting uh Mm -hmm. there 
they've literally are doing a complete overhaul of their entire financial system. They were waiting for this, the Russians, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the reason why they put a little bit of their forex reserves, a little bit of their of their gold reserves in uh, in some out of their control uh, third party banks that are in the West, and then all of a sudden, when this entire you know confiscation thing happened, and it's like. Okay, that gave them the legal justification to say, "Hey, you know what? This here's number here. Here you go, world. Here's the fact you can't trust the United States. Here's the fact that the West is an unreliable partner. We've been talking about it for years. We can't get anything done with these impetuous children. What is the point of doing business with these people? And then third, it gave them the legal justification that they've defaulted on gas payments for for Russia. Now they can go ahead and demand settlement of their payments in ruble, which." The Europeans, they have to do it. Otherwise, they're going to freeze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, perfectly it, it actually seems like a well-played uh, trap that was yeah. set for the West. And I I, I mean, I, I, I am a conspiracy theorist, so my mind definitely moves easily in that domain. <laughs> um, that's that it does seem to be the effect and perhaps even the planned out desired effect the entire time was because everyone was thinking, well, is Putin stupid? Is he a traitor that he would allow? Uh, Nebulina to uh, put all of these these Russian gold assets and, and other reserves in foreign banks so that they could be then confiscated or, or frozen. Probably not. He's probably not an idiot. He probably knew what he was doing. And the effect that we see right now is fully falling in Russia in Russia's advantage. So that's that is interesting. Um, the other thing too that I, I thought um, viewers might like to um, or might appreciate was um, what's his name. Uh, Igor Igor um, Kolomovsky, uh, Kolomoisky, Igor Kolomoisky. I can never pronounce his name. Yeah, Kolomoisky. Yeah, everyone I think has an idea of this guy as like you know one of the top dog oligarchs in uh, Ukraine, um, to a certain degree. I, I I'd imagine, um, you know, at this point, um, there's been enough. I think video material, other written written investigative reports that have looked at this this oligarchs funding of Zelensky's entire career, his ownership of the entire media complex that Zelensky worked for before being installed as a political puppet. Um, But also what makes him interesting is that this is also a guy who has openly, even Newsweek, a lot of mainstream Western uh, uh, media agencies have acknowledged that this guy is the primary funder of the Azov Battalion. Um, He runs things like the Private Bank of Russia, of uh, Ukraine, um, Dnipro, the IDAR battalions were all funded that were all really organized in 2014 in the wake of the US run coup. They were all funded and bankrolled by this guy. All of the battalions carrying out the, the worst atrocities for the past eight years um, in Ukraine. So this is a guy who's doing both of those things. Now, I just read an article. I'll, I'll email it to you. Maybe you can share it with your network. Uh, which added another dimension to this that I did not anticipate. But in fact, um, Kolomoskai, Kolomoski, say his name again, please, for me. Kolomoski. Kolomoski, okay. Yeah. He's actually the uh, the primary owner of a certain gas company of Ukraine, too. Does it happen to be Bursama Holdings? It is indeed. Ah! There's two or three shell companies that were created in the Cayman Islands or the Virgin mm-hmm. Islands. Yes. Um, all run by by this guy, um, which are the primary owners of Burisma. And even the head of the second biggest gas company of Ukraine uh, gave an interview a few years ago where he said, yeah, indeed, um, 
Kolomoske is indeed the owner of Brisma, the primary uh, owner. So even though it's, it's hide, hidden behind some shell companies. But again, that now ties you directly into a whole slew of nasty, corrupt machinations that involve um, what Biden was doing, what Hunter was doing, what Nancy Pelosi and this entire crowd in the United States uh, were doing with Burisma, you know, reaping graft and, and a lot of money um, in the course of many years, whereby just looking at what, what was the IMF telling the Ukrainians to do in 2011, 2012, 2013 is in order to be um, a part of the European uh, markets, you have to restructure certain things. And that involves freezing your incomes while at the same time massively increasing the price of utilities and specifically natural gas. So they were on the, just by the IMF as a whole, doing that um, to the government of Ukraine, it was on the one hand, a devastating attack on the people and it enriched it, it it caused obviously the the shares of barisma to skyrocket the price of gas to skyrocket and uh and people like hunter biden who got fifty thousand dollars a month and i think he accumulated three million dollars over the course of his short term being a very very qualified uh uh person who likes to draw watercolors sitting on the board of this thing and while he's uh, doing other shady things with with multiple prostitutes and drugs, um, while he's doing that, he's gaining influence with his father and with other uh, circles associated with his father, the, the vice president of the USA, who's bragging at the Council on Foreign Relations in two thousand and was it fifteen or sixteen that he got yep. the prosecutor general of Ukraine fired because the, the that prosecutor general was engaged in the crime of investigating Barisma Holdings corrupt dealings and he actually withheld he brags that we withheld a billion dollar loan to ukraine unless the government fires this prosecutor general which which is exactly what happened um and people gave trump a hard time for having a conversation with zelensky about the hunter biden laptop and maybe just investigating some of what biden was actually doing yeah. um which is a completely legal thing to do and the um, crazy thing this is what freaked them out man you got you got nancy pelosi's son paul pelosi's involved in it with Bursima. Mm -hmm. John Kerry's kid, Devin Archer's involved with it. Mitt Romney's kid is involved with it. And and Hunter's involved with it. Of course, they're, they're totally going to freak out. Well, they got to protect their interests because there's so much money. Again, 10% for the big guy, right? Yeah, 10% for the big guy. Yeah, that's exactly it. And on top of that, so now we have the, but but this is all just fake news, right? Because we can't really believe in the Hunter Biden laptop as being legitimate. That's all Russian propaganda, right? I remember reading about that uh, last year and the year before that. It, that's the, oh, wait a minute. No, wait. It was just revealed that the New York Times even had to just admit that that actually was all fake news, that it was a real, that the, the whole laptop was real, right? Just just recently, they had to just admit all of the stuff was always legit. Not that we we doubted it, but I mean, the fact that now they've had to admit it. Um, openly is is itself also interesting. And what, what's come out um, as well on this point is that uh, Hunter Biden is even involved in funding the biolabs, another piece of what was once fake news. Uh, and now, you know, six days later was revealed to have actually been dead on the mark, totally true, 30 plus biolabs, uh, bio research facilities, sorry, um, that are conducting very dangerous experimentation on bats, on uh, on insects that could be weaponized and infused with, uh, I mean, we just look at the research that's already available for the past 20 years. There has been an open intent to 
do gene targeting to, to yep. target certain genotypes. Yep. Um, we know that this sort of thing was done in these U- Department of Defense funded biolabs run by the U.S., but set in Ukraine. And Hunter Biden was directly found to have been involved through his uh, his company, um, Rosemont uh, Seneca. Yes. You heard about that? eh? Yeah. Rosemont. Now, break that down for us, man. Well, I don't have all. The, I just found this like minutes before the today's show. No, so I don't know. I, I didn't know the, 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 the Ro- I, I've heard of you know. Uh, yeah, I know uh, Rosemont Seneca, but I don't understand the whole bioweapons link. Well, it's through this. Uh, this uh, com- I wrote it down here. Uh, Metabiota, mm-hmm. um, which has all sorts of links to the World Economic Forum. The head of Metabiota has is a, a deeply embedded Davos guy. Um, this thing has so many overlaps with the Department of Defense and Pentagon. But it's a contractor. So it's a military contractor that supplied um, a lot of the supplies for these these biolabs in Ukraine. And through Rosemont Seneca, which controls about $2.4 billion of resources, um, it has been a primary backer and funder of Metabiota. So again, through that directionality, we, we always are sort of vectoring in on the exact same little uh, nexus of corrupt little sleaze bags who love their drugs more than they love anything else about their lives and are more than happy to just be tools um, for their, their, you know, corrupt parents who themselves are tools for a higher uh, agency. Like you said, you know, it's, it's all the kids of these, these puppet um, democratic party hacks and Republican party hacks um, who are all part of part of the same game. So yeah, you definitely have, something really, really nasty. And, you know, we're, we're given the projection that no Hunter Biden, it's all about imagery, right? Hunter Biden is just this misunderstood artist. That's how they're trying to reconstruct his, he's, his, he's, Lenski is you have a crackhead who's pretending he's Picasso. That's what the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a misunderstood artist. <laughs> he's a starving artist. Look, his pieces are going for millions of dollars. <laughs> his dad passed a law, right? Right before, right before he came out as an artist, his dad passed a law making it uh, illegal to make um, uh, public who are the buyers of of his son's artworks. Oh, that's yeah. a that's a nice nothing to see there, folks. Yeah. So you're anything any purchase associated with a Hunter Biden uh, painting, you're not allowed to know who, who the owners are. <laughs> so yeah, you have that. So loving. Oh yeah, what a great guy. Um, because, you know, they, they make the, they made the argument that, oh, but that could buy influence. You know, if we know, maybe, maybe it's somebody who, maybe they're just buying his paintings so that they could be known as the purchase, the person who purchased Hunter and then be, you know, maybe get a meeting with, with, uh, Biden and the Biden family doesn't do things like that. Buying influence. No, no, no. Um, yeah. So, but there, and also like Zelensky as well, right? Like, I mean, the amount of people who literally have this warm, fuzzy feeling in their, in their belly when they think of Zelensky as this great freedom fighter patriot, this guy was in the Panama Papers, for Christ's sakes, you know? Like, he's got so much graft from shell companies in the Cayman oh, yeah. Islands and other... He's got a $35 million mansion in Miami. $35 million? Yeah. Well, okay. That's... But, you know, I, I've seen figures, too, going up to, like, 600-plus uh, million dollars that is directly tied to money that uh, is so under his apparent possession that's, you know, being... That's just moving around in these these Cayman Islands shell company accounts. Um, the $32 million mansion in Miami. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that fits. That fits. Um, so loving. Yeah. So these people are all just corrupt little scumbags. And, I mean, I think that the, the thing with... 
the beauty of what Putin has done, and I mean, war is not a be beautiful thing, but there has been a beauty in the sense of forcing finally a lot of these um, dirty shadow creatures into the light. And for, the, for once, we have to now react like the oligarchy is forced to not just be in the shadows, but actually react with reality. Um, nobody's playing by their games or pretending that their words have any meaning anymore because they've just lied so consistently, saying nice flowery things on the surface, like what Biden did with, with Xi Jinping, right? Last week, they had a meeting for two hours on the phone. Um, and Xi Jinping pretty much said, like, you say nice things, but how do we believe anything you're going to say? You seem to do the opposite. And sure enough, you know, uh, a few days later, what happens? Sanctions you know, against China. These people launched. are insane. They don't know diplomacy at all. And I mean, it's obviously like all about Ukraine, right? Like, I mean, we're Blinken and Sullivan were, were ranting about how this has nothing to do with, with China's support for Russia or China's unwillingness to... Uh, it has to do with Uyghur genocide. Huh? Uyghur genocide. <laughs> That's what they had to fall back on. Again, the Uyghur genocide, when, which again, when you actually look at the statistics... The Uyghur population increased massively over the past yep. 40 years. Yep. Their GDP increased per capita. Their life expectancy increased from being something like 32 years of age back uh, in 1940 mm -hmm. to being about 69 years of age now with a rate of increase that's increasing. Yep. Um, what kind of genocide are you uh, talking about? The number of mosques went from 800 to 20,000. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's a really weird The number one genocide. singer in China right now is a Uyghur woman. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Maybe. The Uyghur language is printed on their currency, but they're slaughtering Uyghurs. And the Uyghurs yeah. in Zhenzhen are like, what? Who's slaughtering us? Somebody's slaughtering us? I know. No, I know. There's genocide it's, here? And you could listen to the interviews. Like, the, there's journalists who have gone on the ground and have talked directly to two different Uyghurs who have been working in the so-called uh, prison sweatshops. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm getting paid. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, my life is better now than it ever was. I'm actually like, you know... I got electricity. I could. I got running water. I, I've got a. a I got know, an internet connection. I got an internet connection. I'm going for vacation with my family. We're, we got a high speed rail coming through our our little village. You got you have actual high speed rail being yeah. built by China currently. That's already operational. Yeah. Um, all over Xinjiang as and a gateway through we, to Pakistan. It, through, it kills me. Road. We don't do anything like that. Anything at all. No, we can't. No, forget about it. We haven't done that in another country, and we certainly haven't even done it in our own countries, in yeah. Canada or in the United States. There's no, there's no, what they call high-speed rail, uh, the 170 miles of high-speed rail that exist in the U.S. Um, is not high-speed rail. It, no. it, it's, you know, it's fast. It, bar it, it barely gets to have. 120. It's like 100 miles an hour. Typically, it's about 88 miles an hour, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the not, Excel I mean, Express. Yeah. Whereas when you compare, you look at what what China's got going with their four hundred miles, kilometers, four hundred yeah. kilometers exactly, uh, and more. If they want to, they've done test runs where they could push that another two hundred kilometers an hour more. They just don't want to, and it's not right. viable right now to do that on a regular basis. But that's doable. You could have. They actually have magnetic levitation rail in operation, and they're building right. several other tracks all over China. That's maglev. That's next generation stuff. That's when we go for a, a space based civilization. At some point, and it's going to happen. Uh, it won't be led by the United States, by the way. Like people thought, maybe a few decades ago, it's going to be Russia and China who have jointly signed several key agreements that have uh, put them on the path where they're going to be um, unveiling a jointly run research center on the moon. China's got a very advanced program for lunar mining. 
Um, there, China's got the 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 heavenly palace space yeah. station. Well, one, no, yeah, dude, we have the metaverse, bro, and we got the metaverse. We, we can get in a virtual magnetic levitation train in <laughs> in virtual oh, yeah. reality. Oh yeah, it'll be smooth, so smooth we will feel like we're not even moving. <laughs> dude, it's amazing. I mean, I, I, it, it's incredible. The metaverse is here. I'm going to show you exactly some snip snippets from the metaverse so you guys could witness this. Who needs maglev? Right? Who needs any of this crap when you have this? Look at this, dude. This is wow. That's gorgeous. This what, is amazing. What, Look at this. What, what are these things? What are these these oh, events man. crowd classics? What is this? See, he's in a a, a metaverse like bookstore, and there's like titles there. He can watch movies. Look, he could. He has a girl sitting on his head. He could just walk around all day. He can meet. He could talk to this he jackass. Like run through people too. Yeah, don't look at that fact. Don't look at that fact. The, the 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 bugs haven't quite been worked out yet because you know they're outsourcing to the lowest common denominator in terms of programs. Look, he's going to the beach. Like, who wow. needs real life when you have this? Who needs high speed rail? Look, now he's standing in some station somewhere. And something's gonna come out of the 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 earth, or oh look, a blimp just appeared out of nowhere. And and are you like wearing the glasses? Like yeah. When you're, I thought it, I thought it was like a more of a first person immersive experience where you feel like you are that guy. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play that. This is hilarious. Now run as far as you can, as fast as you can, and never click on this video ever again if you care about your life at all. But if you have, welcome. This. Here's this kid a does a great one. It's a one-to-one -one replica of the real world, all right? And the idea is that everyone you know and love exists virtually. And a headset like this that costs way too much money. In fact, it costs more than my dog. Spock cost $100. Don't do this, father. That was me, I said that. One Metaverse day is apparently 30 minutes in real life time, and I'm gonna be spending the next 100 Metaverse days in this headset. I've got everything oh, no. I need to survive. A mini fridge, a coffee maker, a bed, <laughs> a hologram of oh. Shrek. It makes me feel safe at night. And if I want, I can even tap the headset like this and see my false reality. My Michael, false reality. I'm the most famous person in the Metaverse, because that person right now is definitely Mark Zuckerberg. Not for long, Marky. And as I took my last look at the real world, there was only one question in my mind. What if no one likes me? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's already true in real life, so... This is my reality for the next... 100 days. My time will be spent in-game as the man I wish I was in the real world. <laughs> Brian. Right. Now I'm 6'4", confident, and not lactose intolerant. I have a beard in real life. This is, this is like, I look like this. He didn't look like that. I loaded into my first metaverse world and I was immediately baffled by what I was witnessing, okay? A group of like seven or eight people all cuddling each other, except for one guy in a stormtrooper oh, no. outfit. Yo, is anybody here normal? <laughs> I think so. I think I'm normal. If I'm gonna survive 100 days here, I need a friend. I need a BFF. Yeah, except my friend or friend, whatever, because I'm the only normal person here, trust me. Yeah. Making friends here is so much easier than in real life. Look at that. I just clicked the button. Play. He's our first. He's first friend in the metaverse. Call me Brian. Ask me. Brian. Okay, come on, Brian. <laughs> now the weirdest thing you'll see in this game, 100%, is there will be people that will just stand in front of mirrors and just stand in front of mirror all day long. Here, there's probably people. Come on. I'll show you this. Clay Dude. was right. There were 14 people just looking at themselves in the mirror in the metaverse. Who does that? Dude, my arms look massive. Are you yeah! people who are who are all? Don't get change your avatar. Right this. Now? This is this is this is what America has to offer. Oh no. 
Oh no! I was listening to the uh, this interview on the radio with this uh, internationally renowned um, philosopher who's just written a, a book about uh, reality and and how he's basically saying that uh, the greatest philosophical treatise uh, ever produced is this new movie that was just that just came out with some video game character who realizes that he develops self consciousness. Yeah, free um, guy. Free guy. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I might actually watch that. It sounds weird. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like uh, he was, he, this is like somebody who has taught at Cambridge and, um, and was really backing up the idea that the, he was supporting this idea that we are now in a transition to a new society where it's inevitable that people will increasingly spend more and more of their time in the metaverse. And increasingly within a decade, he says, I, I mean, I think this guy's insane because you could listen to him talking, his idea of reality is so shallow, but he's like, People will soon spend all of their time in the metaverse and thus it will be no different and in fact more real because all of the feelings you have in the metaverse are just as real as the feelings you have here and it'll force like our laws to change because, you know, there's people who have apparently gotten raped with their, their avatars have gotten raped by other avatars or something. Oh, yeah. So that's just as traumatic as if it really did happen to you. So now laws are going to have to change accordingly. Somebody had their their something that they owned in the metaverse stolen from them, like their metaverse car or something was stolen. And there's actually a court case currently in Europe about like whether this person should be prosecuted for stealing the car. And I mean, uh, but the point that was never addressed in this one hour uh, interview with this this freak show was, well, what's happening to people's real bodies? You know, like you're saying you're going to spend all of your time living in the metaverse. Well, what happens to your, the actual physical body that's living in on the planet, you know, in on earth, um, that's slowly atrophying, not getting exercise, not eating. Maybe, I mean, are you just slowly piling up in your own filth um, until you starve to death? Like what, what's going on? What's the physical economy? Nobody even talked about that. Even no, once. no, um, because it doesn't matter because when everything's broken down, the East is going to shift to a physical production-based economy with real wealth being created, generated, real scientific advancements, real civilizational advancements, a maglev, space travel, all these things. And the Western world in America, we're going to be stuck in the metaverse. Yeah, thinking that we're winning. I mean, yeah. I'm sure these guys love their real, like, love the illusion so much more than reality. That they might they do. I mean, our policymakers and politicians love the illusion as well. They love it. They're, they literally yeah. believe it. That's the thing, Matt. They Maybe literally that. believe it their own bullshit. That's the most dangerous thing a person can do. Well, maybe that's also, I mean, I'm just being facetious here, but maybe that's also one of the, the best benefits we have that maybe the, 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 those Yuval Harari World Economic Forum freaks who really believe in, uh, in this virtual reality thing, maybe, uh, maybe they'll just be content themselves trying to depopulate a virtual world while the real one moves ahead. No, that's silly. That's a silly thought. No, they have to be crushed. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, 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 you know, like this question of reality, I mean, the, the fact that I didn't really make the leap or the, the bridge uh, to this, but it, when you have an industrial uh, civilization building and making creative discoveries and inventions with other celestial bodies like the moon later on Mars that are first going to involve a lot of automation. This is like one thing that AI, people are like, oh, but isn't AI intrinsically bad? China and Russia are talking well about the use of AI. Isn't that, doesn't that mean that they're all a part of the, the fourth industrial revolution? And it's like, well, I mean, 
when it's run by a Klaus Schwab who hates human beings, yeah, AI is certainly uh, governed by an, a religious ideology to um, replace humans with robots or have us merge with machines to stay relevant. I mean, that's that's bad. But but is it is that itself intrinsically bad? Because if you're thinking about um, human beings in the universe, we're not going to want to just throw human bodies into research facilities on the moon or on Mars, which is a very that's a that's a far distance, right? Especially Mars. Uh, for a very long time, you'd want to probably have automated systems that are as that have the least necessity for input as possible because it takes time even for communication. I think it's like 14 minutes for light to transit from um, from the Earth to the to Mars and back. That, I mean, a lot can happen in the in the course of those 14 minutes. So to be able to have a self learning type of system that could sort of take experiences translate those experiences into better algorithms that allow them to um, carry out objectives, whether mining objectives, you know, if you're, there's a lot of different rare earths, other forms of, of resources, other forms of life, maybe um, under the surface of Mars, maybe there's like bacterial life that would give us a sense of the, um, the evolutionary history of our solar system, but also the potential for recreating or con constructing a, uh, a functional ecosystem in a foreseeable future with a little bit of assistance, perhaps, or input. Um, these are all things that you'd want to be able to have automated systems doing, right? So that that could be fine. That's just well and good. It's a tool like any other tool. And a, a hammer can, you know, help you make a house or kill your neighbor, depending on your design intention and morality. Yep. So to the degree that we have things like, you know, an, an actual operating system, which philosophically recognizes the sacredness of human life, the need for constant improvements in new discoveries in order to overcome the limits to growth um, that enshrines and respects various diverse ancient cultures of the world without thinking about homogenizing everybody into one giant computer model, like uh, <laughs> like these creepy freaks around Klaus Schwab tend to uh, tend to think, you know. Um, then these things are, I think that they're fine. You know, you could you could have biotech, you could have AI, you could have a lot of these things actually serve the interest like a tool of of humankind and to the degree that that morality is gone and you get a different intention all of the tools will be used uh to enslave us and destroy us so it's uh it's 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 too easy just to see like you know i i, I see a lot of examples of various people alternative media analysts who simply see the words that xi jinping or P putin use which sound like sometimes they'll say new world order or something or they'll say uh they like sustainability or, or things like that, um, or they they like AI. They they they'll say nice things, and they'll be like, "Look at those words. They're the same words that Henry Kissinger and Zbigniew Brzezinski have used." And thus, the the words being the same, the pattern fits, and thus they're all complicit. And it's like, no, the word is just a word. There's there's something different about the function. Function is not the same as the outward form. A word is an outward form. It's how is the word? What is the associated ideas and purpose? of the system that is utilizing those words, because I guarantee it, when you actually look at the actions of Russia, China, and all countries that are on board that other system, you'll find a, a refutation of the Great Reset depopulation uh, agenda on every regard, which requires a world at war with itself, underpopulated, more stupid, underdeveloped, reliant on things like windmills and solar panels, um, banning things like space tech or nuclear power that it involves a danger of new discoveries being made that increases our power over, over nature. Um, these are all things that the, these, you know, um, eugenicists 
they they absolutely abhor and would never permit willingly that these things occur. So uh, yeah, in that sense, we should be inspired in that sense by the the potential for humanity right now to move into the next phase of our creative evolution as a galactic species. Which again, when you when you look at what Russia and China and other countries, even the UAE, has. Um, a wonderful space program, which has blossomed, right? They're like, they're the first Arab country to Correct. deploy a satellite around Mars successfully yep. on their first shot. And they have a much broader vision working with China and Russia on doing more such things. Uh, Africa is hungry right now to to leap into the future. They've been told- Africa know, needs the metaverse. It doesn't need a future. <laughs> this is the meta. Forget about growing Warrior. food. Yeah, I know. You can eat on the metaverse, man, whatever you want. Yeah, they just need to explore their inner space more. That's, that, that's why they're poor. They just haven't explored their inner feelings and inner space instead of thinking about the outer space of their 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 world that they live in that's full of wars and and poverty and and maybe like the outer space beyond the earth. Like these are all things that are just setting up setting the Africans on the wrong path. They just have to explore their feelings. That's it. That's and yeah, maybe do. some 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 virtual reality will will help them do that. Will help them yeah. absolutely. So, Matthew Eric, thank you, sir, for joining us again and breaking it down for us. Folks, again, you can catch Matthew over at CanadianPatriot.org as well as the RisingTideFoundation.net. Reach out to them, subscribe to their broadcast, their podcast, and they will also send you a link where you can join them for weekly seminars that they're always running. Yes. I've got something. Uh, this Sunday, Joaquin Flores will Ooh, be nice. delivering um, the Rising Tide Foundation presentation on at 2 p.m. It'll be over Zoom if anybody wants to listen. It's usually for people who are paid subscribers, but frankly, I don't care. If you if you want to listen to Joaquin Flores, who's a world, I mean, he's a cutting edge expert on grand strategy, the, the situation in Ukraine and more, and he'll field a, a, a live Q&A for as long as people want. Uh, that'll be at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So just send in, send me an email to uh, info at risingtidefoundation.net, and uh, I'll send you a Zoom link. Perfect. Very well said. And with that being said, folks, we're at the end of the show. Thank you all for, uh, for joining in. Subscribe, share, like, comment, and uh, share. We'll be back on YouTube four more days, so hang in there. With that being said, we're over and out.